This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. I think just that what we see with drought and climate change, we, we need to look at water differently than we did you know, when we first got started in the 1920s. And so recycling water is something that really makes sense here in Southern California. You can take treated wastewater, you can purify it, the technology's out there to do that, and you can reuse it again. We have been investing in this at Metropolitan since the 1980s through our member agencies. So providing them with funding to pursue their own recycled water projects. And this is the first time our organization, Metropolitan, is taking on its own recycled water project. Because we are a big organization and we are a water wholesaler, we want to do it on a scale that makes sense for our service area. And so that's why we're looking at a project like this that takes the largest untapped source of treated wastewater into the Pacific and purifying that, recycling it, and sending it throughout our service area to our member agencies. This episode comes to you from Los Angeles, California. There's not much river action here, but there is a lot of river water. Significant portions of river water from the Colorado River and the Sacramento River are diverted into Southern California by long aqueducts. Southern California has very little of its own natural water sources. The Los Angeles River has been turned into a cement canal that transports treated wastewater and is no longer a water source for municipal systems. There are aquifers that provide water, but the Colorado and Sacramento Rivers are the main providers of municipal water for Southern California. The Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is the agency created by the state of California with the job of importing water for use in Southern California. MET, as they are called, imports water from the Colorado and Sacramento rivers and from other sources, and then distributes that water to its 26 partner agencies, such as the City of Los Angeles, San Diego County Water Authority, the City of Pasadena, the City of Long Beach, to name a few, and MET is always looking for more water. Why? Because there are 19 million people in Southern California that Metropolitan Water provides water for. One out of every 17 people in the United States lives in Southern California. There has been a lot of chatter this year about the state of water and weather in the southwestern United States. Some call it a drought or a mega drought. Others call it climate change. The best term I have heard for it is aridification. The southwest is predominantly an arid climate with pockets otherwise. This aridification means a place is increasing its arid character, its dryness. The Colorado River is overallocated, meaning that all of the stakeholders up and down that river expect it to give more water than it creates. The two largest reservoirs in the country, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, are both on the Colorado River upstream from California, and both are dropping to one-third of their volume capacity, and they are at risk of losing their ability to sustain hydroelectric power generation. These big drops in volume are due to the decreased flows from the Colorado River. Currently, the Bureau of Reclamation, the federal agency that manages Powell and Mead, has begun to drain water from a series of upstream reservoirs that have federal system water. This system water will flow down the Colorado River for storage in Powell and Mead to offset these risks. But that is likely just a band-aid. 
Over the next two episodes, The River Radius will explore how Los Angeles grew from 100,000 people in the late 1800s to over 19 million people in 2021 in Metz Water District, and how water resources had to grow right along with that population, and how the active and looming impacts of aridification of climate change mean less water to import. To learn about this recycled water plan and the history and future of Southern California water, I interviewed two members of Metropolitan Water and several folks at random throughout Southern California. In this first episode, we are taking a detailed tour of the Regional Recycled Water Advanced Purification Center in Carson, California. This is a demonstration facility developed by Metropolitan Water to learn how to take treated sewage water and further clean it to standards of human drinking water. This direct human use of recycled sanitation water is a method that MET is pursuing to develop a new source of water to reuse the water they have already imported. Before we go on the tour of the recycled water plant, we will start with some of the street-side interviews. While I was in L.A., I wanted to hear from folks in the city what they knew about their water and what they thought about water. So I simply walked and drove around asking folks those exact questions. Each of these interviews would begin with an introduction from me that went something like this. Hey, excuse me. Yeah. Can I invade your privacy and ask you a few questions? Uh, so yeah, good question. My name's Sam. I'm from Colorado. I've got a podcast about rivers and water. I came to LA to interview the water districts, but also folks living in the city about water. Do you mind if I ask you like your first name and what you know about water? Take like 90 seconds. And so with that introduction, here are a few of the responses I got to my questions. And many times I ended up asking more questions and taking more than 90 seconds. Do I know where it comes from? Yeah, it's uh, high Sierra's. Snow melt, runoff. That's what I believe where water comes from. Okay. And also we buy from the Colorado River, but I'm not sure if that's even available anymore. That's how, what I know of it. What's the, what's the relationship? Like, what's the cultural relationship of, of the people of L.A., and I mean the whole, you know, the whole 19, 20 million folks here, with water? Like, what, what do people think about water here? Hmm. Uh, it's a resource, of course. We need it to survive. Um, especially for drinking purposes. Uh, but everybody loves their green lawns in L.A. and they love the landscape. And this is a total landscape type of area. I mean, people love it. What do you mean by that? And I think I, I can kind of guess, but, but go into detail. Um, everybody loves a manicured green lawn, and uh, the pro- property values soar because of the uh, upkeep of the properties. And um, people just like to enjoy their beautiful backyards and their pools. Do you see that, that there's much, do people express a feeling around concern for using too much water or that water won't be available for their green lawns and other, other parts of their, their yard? Yes. I mean, that's why we're doing a lot of zero scapes now and people are putting the artificial grass in. But um, concrete's not the answer. Covering the earth is not the answer. It's going to hurt us with the, uh, you know, the whole uh, global warming. You, you are seeing people do more zero scaping. Is that a new trend? Is that a continuing trend from for many years now? Um, I think it's been the past what fifteen years people have started doing it, so it's a continuing trend. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Would you tell me your name and your business? Uh, Jesus Reyes, JR Tree Service. And what part of LA do you serve? Uh, just the the San Gabriel Valley, okay. where you're at right now, Pasadena area. Awesome, man. Well, that's what I'm looking for. Right. Let me give you a sticker. Sounds good. Hey, man. Appreciate yeah. your time. Right. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Uh, my name is Brendan. And Brendan, can you tell us where we are right now? Uh, we're at Loyola Marymount University. Right on. 
Brendan, are you from LA or are you from somewhere else? I am from Los Angeles, yeah. You are? Yeah. Do you know where your like drinking, shower, municipal water comes from? I could not tell you where that is. Absolutely no idea. What do you think about water when you... Do you think about water? I, I do, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty environmentally friendly, conscious, try and get on my parents about it, you know? You know, I'm thinking about it where it's coming from. I don't exactly know the direct source. I'm sure it's coming from some mountain somewhere, hopefully. But, um, yeah, no, I think about it. I know we don't have a lot of it here in California, L.A. specifically, so so it's a problem. Do you actively try and not use more than your share, so to say? Yeah, I know. I really do try. Try. T- tell me how. Best. Uh, you know, taking shorter showers, washing the dishes, turning off that sink every time, you know, not leaving it on. Uh, I've never been someone to leave the sink on when I'm brushing my teeth, you know, fill the dishwasher up when we're using it, stuff like that. All right. Cool, man. That's what I got. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. Have have a great summer and school year. Thank you, too. Would you tell me your first name? Taylor. Taylor. And would you tell us where we are right now? So we are in Santa Monica, California, by the beach. I'm from Santa Monica, so I've lived here my entire life, yeah. Yeah. What do you understand about where water comes from that is delivered to Santa Monica? I believe it comes from the mountains, but I know there's a lot of issues because obviously California has like a terrible drought going on always. And this morning we had like a tiny bit of rain, which I was really stoked about, but honestly something I'm really frustrated with is when it rains a lot, we don't have an effective system of gathering the water and like utilizing that water. So it goes straight into the ocean, which is really, obviously really sad because it's taking out all the waste as well as like fertilizers from gardens and stuff, which is really toxic to the ocean. And then it's obviously like, there are rules like, you know, you don't go surfing after it rains because of all of the plastic in the ocean and all the trash. But I'm not sure if I answered your question, but the water comes from most likely the mountains, but I'm not exactly sure. So, there's a, is that a real rule that you can't surf? Or is that uh, like it's a, No, it's not a real rule, but it's just one of those things where the surfing community usually doesn't like surfing after it rains just because of the stuff you find in the ocean. It's obviously like the, the water itself is kind of like, you know, it's filled with like different toxins. So, it, I mean, you can surf after it rains, but it's just obviously not a pretty sight. So, no one really usually does. Do you just use water as you wish, or do you think about how much you're using when you use water? Yeah, I'm actually an environmental management and protection major in college. So, I've been really passionate about like water use, obviously, and just kind of how it impacts, especially living in California. Like I grew up like taking three minute showers and I still time myself every time I shower and like even like knowing the little things of like when to wash your clothes and stuff and I have like a bin in my bathroom so I can like water my plants with like the water as it's like heating up and everything. I mean I feel like it's interesting because I'm seeing a shift with like the front yards and I feel like there's this whole culture of like I need my grass to be perfectly green, which obviously there's a lot of water consumed within that practice in and of itself. But I'm seeing like a shift of um, succulent gardens, which are obviously like way better in terms of water use. And then also just like kind of switching to more like sandy and like gravel, like more desert landscapes for the front yard and like getting rid of like the traditional um, grass, which I think is like a huge improvement. Um, Because obviously there's a lot of water that gets wasted with that too, so 
Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you'll translate. So, uh, what is your name? Francisco. And and where are we? In Los Angeles downtown. And can you tell me um, what do you do? You know where do you know where your water comes from? Like the water that you use for your food truck, for your home, to drink, to eat with, to clean. Do you know where that water comes from? Si sabes de dónde viene la el agua, de que usamos para bañarnos, la que usamos para lavar, lo usamos todo para todo para trabajar. De dónde viene? Exactamente. No. No. Do you have thoughts about, like, when you use water, do you think about how much you're using? Um, will there be enough water next year? That kind of stuff. No. No. Okay. That's it. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All of these people you just heard from gain their water from the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. Rupam Sony is Met's Community Relations Team Manager, and she works on-site at the Recycled Water Center and provided a tour of the water center. This water center is located south of downtown Los Angeles and out in Los Angeles County. Here is Rupam Sony introducing herself and the water center. Hi, my name is Rupam Sony. I am the Community Relations Team Manager at the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. We are at the Regional Recycled Water Advanced Purification Center in Carson, California. We're actually on the site of our project partners, the LA County Sanitation Districts, their first and largest wastewater treatment plant. It's called the Joint Water Pollution Control Plant. After Metropolitan Water imports water from the Sacramento and Colorado rivers, they deliver that water to their 26 partner agencies, and those agencies deliver to the 19 million people. After the water is used by homes, businesses, by the people, it runs into the sewage system and is cleaned at the several sewage treatment facilities in Southern California. The Recycled Water Center is located right next to one of Los Angeles County's sanitation plants for easy access to the water that will go through the advanced cleaning process. This is at the bottom of the entire water process, about five miles from the coast of the Pacific Ocean. This is how the Regional Recycle Water Program works. Wastewater goes down into the sewer system and it's treated at a wastewater treatment plant. And then once that water is cleaned here at this wastewater treatment plant, it flows into the ocean, a couple miles off the coast of the ocean. What this project would do is take that water that goes to the ocean and instead send it through an advanced water treatment plant where that water would get further purified to meet the highest water quality standards. And then that purified water, what we could do with it, is a number of things. So we're looking at sending it to a number of groundwater basins in the area. In Southern California, we rely heavily on our groundwater basins. This water could help refill those basins because we are pulling so much out of them. It could also be provided to some industries in this area that use a lot of water in their industrial processes. And then the other thing that we can do, the state of California right now is coming up with regulations to be able to take this purified water and send it into the drinking water supply. So that's what we're looking at doing as well. Taking the purified water, sending it into our water treatment plants where it would mix in with that water from the Colorado River, 
from Northern California, go out through our water treatment process, go into our delivery system, and then go out to our member agency so they can go ahead and deliver it to their customers, to homes, to businesses in our region. And this would provide a whole new supply of water for Southern California. The facility we are at is a demonstration facility and is doing lots of research on their process and outcomes to learn and improve the recycled water process. There are some water recycling facilities in place, but it is not yet full scale in each of the six counties of the Met Water District, nor for all of the municipalities. Orange County already has a water recycling facility in place. San Diego recently completed a recycled water plant, and L.A. County is also doing some recycled water. But none are going directly back into the drinking water system yet. They can't by law. Currently, the recycled water is used in other ways. Some of it is used just for irrigation. Some of it is put into groundwater basins. When you put water into a groundwater basin, that's called indirect potable reuse. So it is eventually used as drinking water, but first you've got that environmental buffer, that groundwater basin, you're putting the water in there, it's in there for a while, then you pump it up, it goes through the water treatment process and gets distributed to customers. What California is looking at coming out with these new regulations for in just a couple of years is what we call direct potable reuse. So you don't have that environmental buffer anymore. You either send purified water into your water treatment system, which is what we're planning to do, or you can also potentially send that water straight into drinking water pipes, but we're not considering that at this time. To be clear, MET is using this plant and process to learn. This water they're cleaning is going into groundwater basins, and that is what other water recycling programs are doing. MET is using this facility to learn how to take the next big step and get this water directly into the drinking water system and skipping the aquifers, the groundwater basins. They are still planning and learning and working with regulators. This is all a plan. We're in the environmental planning phase right now, which means we're doing early conceptual studies so we can put together an environmental document that looks at this project, what it could entail, what the potential environmental impacts could be, how do we mitigate for those, all of that. That's in the, our next phase. We're finishing one phase of testing that purification process and ensuring that it works. Our testing phase will be done at the end of the summer, sometime next month. Then we'll be putting together our report, submitting it to our state regulators, getting that approval. So, And then after that, after that phase is done, we're gonna continue to look at additional processes that we would need for that direct potable reuse for those that the new set of requirements that the state's coming out with. Because that water would go into our drinking water system, into a water upstream of water treatment plant, it's a little bit different than having the groundwater basin to put that water into first. So there's gonna be additional purification processes that would be needed. And so we're gonna be testing for some of those after that. So this facility is gonna be operating for a while and we're excited about all the research we're doing here sharing that data, the results we get with others so they can apply that to their projects and programs. Today's sponsor is Jack's Plastic Welding. My boat, my dry bags, and my Paco pad are all from Jack's Plastic Welding for a few reasons. The gear they build is tough and I'm hard on my boat gear, not because I'm running first ascents or anything, it's more that I'm just running into rocks and getting stuck or coming into shore a bit hard. Jack's gear can handle it. Another reason I go with Jack's Plastic Welding is because they are typically doing something with inflatable technology that is helping people, 
or rivers, or the oceans. We've talked about how they help raise up baby coral for reefs in past episodes. Today, you will hear from Jack himself about the PacoPad and a desalinization project he is working on. This is Jack, AKA Paco. My name is Jack Klepfer. I was the founder of Jack's Plastic Welding back in 1983. They've called me Paco a lot of times. That was my nickname. That happened because one of my friends started calling it Paco Pad. I originally didn't call it a Paco Pad, but you know, that just, you know, alliteration is nice. So that's what we started calling it. This desalinization project is called Waves to Water. And what it is, is it's a disaster relief project where you put the entire system in a relatively small box that can be dropped from an airplane to a disaster location. And the only thing that you need to make it work is waves. In the middle of this episode, Jack will talk more about the desalinization project and the contest he's involved in. You can find Jack's Plastic online at www.jpwinc.com. That is www.jpwinc.com. My tour of the recycled water plant started inside in the Learning Center classroom. You heard all of the general info, the big picture, some of the details. We then went outside. Consider it this way. We are going outside to look at water. Water that has come from rivers and from some aquifers, but mostly rivers. It has been run through cleaning systems, through homes and businesses, through canals and pipes, and literally has carried human waste to the sanitation facility just next door. And it was cleaned over there, and then piped here to this demo plant that is working to again clean this water to drinking standards. So, to look at this water, I am not wearing a life jacket. I'm wearing a big yellow hard hat, closed-toed shoes, and going next to really loud machines. Rupam started off by telling me more about why this facility is open for public tours. You were just in the Learning Center. We invested in putting this facility on site because one of the things we wanted to do with this demonstration facility was not just prove the effectiveness of our purification process, but use it to share information about our program, about this new water supply, with our service area, with our stakeholders, with our public. And so to welcome them to this site, we put this here. So when a group comes in, and we haven't, you know, because of COVID, we haven't had a group in here for a while. They come in there, they get an introduction to the program, and then they learn a little bit about the demonstration facility, and then we walk through here and give them all the information. And so it's been really great for that. And there's just a lot of interest in this new water supply. And what we found out from, from people in the past is when a recycled water project like this doesn't go through, it's not because of the technology. The technology has been around for decades. Different people have used the technology to produce high quality water. It's because of public perception and opposition. So we just wanna make sure every step along the way that we're letting people know what we're doing, being very transparent about it and welcoming them here so they have a chance to see it if they're interested in doing that. What, what kind of opposition do you get from people that then turns a, a project that could work, that turns it back? Through the decades, it's, it's people just not feeling that the water is clean, that it's safe, that they want it to be a part of their water supply. A lot of it is concern about the quality of the water. People feel like it, the source of the water is not something that they 
want to see in their water supply or drink in their water supply. With water quality standards, you have two types of standards. You have your health standards, right? So you want to make sure that water is safe to drink. And then you have aesthetic standards, which is like water should look, smell, and taste like what you expect water to look, smell, and taste like. And that's like a huge public trust issue because yes, you can have water that's orange. Let's say you take a glass of water and you put some food coloring in it. It's perfectly safe to drink, but it's not what you're expecting water to look like. So you think something is wrong with that. And so that's something that here at Metropolitan that we take really seriously and as do other water agencies too. And it's all about making sure that we're developing that trust with the public and that they know that we're, we're ensuring that water is, is safe for their health but it also is pleasing to them. From here, we walk up some industrial steps and look down into some large tanks of water that look brown and are being aerated. This is the water that has just been through the sanitation plant next door. The water that comes from the sanitation plant is mostly clear. It is not brown. The brown color of the water in the tanks comes from an additive as a part of the first step in the cleaning of the water for the recycled water process. The first stage of the process is the membrane bioreactor. Here we are at our membrane bioreactors. The water comes in to our demonstration facility and into the membrane bioreactors from that pipe that you see over there, the small beige pipe. And then the water comes into these tanks. These tanks are biological process tanks. So in these tanks, we have microorganisms. That's what gives it this dark color. These microorganisms feed on any of the remaining organic matter that might be in the water, and they also feed on the nitrogen that might be in the water. So nitrogen's in our source water is usually in the form of ammonia, which is coming from our waste. When you say from our waste, you mean from our human body yes. waste. And then they're in here for almost three hours processing the, the nitrogen compounds and that organic matter and removing it here in these tanks. Now, once they're done with these tanks, we're ready to move that water out and put it into the membrane tanks. We're applying a negative pressure to these tanks. So we're applying a vacuum basically. And what it does is it pulls the water into the many, many, many membranes that are inside these tanks. They have these tiny, tiny holes all along the outside. You only can see the holes if you look under a microscope. They're four one hundredths of a micrometer, and a micrometer is one one thousandth of a millimeter. So any, anyways, basically really tiny holes. And so we apply this vacuum. What it does is it pulls the water molecules through those tiny holes into the center of the membranes. Any particles, the microorganisms, any particles up to one one hundredth of a grain of sand will collect on the outside of those membrane fibers so they don't make their way in. And so that's how we clean the water through this first step of the purification process. Now we do get quite a few particles that collect on those membrane fibers. And so every 15 minutes or so, we do a process called relaxation where we run air through the membrane fibers and it forces those particles to come off. Once we're done with the membrane bioreactors here, the water is ready for the next step in the purification process, which is reverse osmosis. So let's go take a look at that. This plant is very much a Southern California plant. What I mean is, all of these processes are outside and covered by a huge roofing system. There are no walls. It's warm and pretty dry here. Rain comes seasonally and the roof protects from the sun and the rain. 
The entire demo plant is about a 6,000 square foot rectangle, all on concrete. So we go down the stairs and into the middle of the facility to the reverse osmosis location. So our second step in the purification process is reverse osmosis. And this is what you, these cylinders that you see here. Each cylinder is called a vessel and inside each vessel are seven elements. Now reverse osmosis is the workhorse of the purification process. So it can remove over 99% of the materials in the water. The way it works is we apply a really high pressure onto the water as it comes into these units. The water goes through these different layers, the water molecules do, and they make their way through to the center tube. That water is called the permeate. It's ready to move on to the, to the next step in the purification process. What doesn't make it through is called the concentrate. And what we do with the concentrate is we send it through the reverse osmosis process again to capture as much water as possible. We'll also send the permeate through the process again to further purify the water. So we're really optimizing what we remove from the water and how much water we capture through this process. Our pressure that we're applying here is 180 pounds per square inch. Reverse osmosis is great at removing salt from the water, if there's any remaining microorganisms that might be in the water. It's also great at removing all other kinds of chemicals too. Um, PFOS chemicals, which are the chemicals you find in nonstick pans, pharmaceuticals, are all removed in this reverse osmosis process. This process has been around since the 1950s. It's mostly used to remove salt from seawater. That's how it got its start. In the 1970s, in Orange County, they started using it to produce purified recycled water. So you see it quite a bit here in advanced water treatment plants. You remember seeing of our source water, the water that came into the plant? So this is a sample after the reverse osmosis process. So you can see now the water looks like what you would expect water to look like. And it meets very high water quality standards already. But we still have one final step. And this is our final polishing step. Rupam had water samples in several large beakers. Each beaker was a sample from each stage, starting from the post-sewage plant all the way to the post-recycled water cleaning. The water sample from the reverse osmosis did look very clear. It would pass for quality tap water, and simply by eyeballing, I would guess it's safe to drink. I found the final stage of the process to be interesting because it uses UV light, very similar to the UV light sticks you can use to filter your water in the backcountry. It's called ultraviolet light and advanced oxidation process. So that long metal tube you see here is the reactor for this process. And inside the metal tube are these UV light bulbs inside that reactor, there's eight of them. If there's anything remaining in the water, any viruses, any microorganisms, the UV light will destroy them. But what we also do is add an oxidant, a powerful oxidant to the water. And what, when that combines with the UV light, there's this powerful molecule that's formed called a radical. Radicals go around and they destroy any bonds. So if there's any chemicals remaining in the water, destroyed during this process. It's a really quick process. It takes just under a minute. And then again, it's our final polishing step. And so after this process, our water is essentially near distilled in quality. It's so pure that you have to add minerals back into it. 
that's how clean this water is at the end of this three-step purification process, which just takes just over three hours. The longest process is our biological process. The microorganisms need some time to remove those materials from the water. Everything else is just a matter of minutes. And you get highly purified water, which looks like this. Jack's Plastic Welding is sponsoring today's episode about the Recycled Water Project in Southern California. The crew at Jack's Plastic is always working on clever ways to integrate inflatable technology into real-world needs. That might be tools that contain oil spills or tools to raise baby coral for coral reef rehab. Here again is Jack from Jack's Plastic Welding explaining more about the desalinization project they are working on and the contest they have entered. This desalinization project is called Waves to Water and it's a challenge grant. It comes in five phases. Our idea was chosen, so we got some money to pursue our idea. It's a disaster relief project where you put the entire system in a relatively small box that can be dropped from an airplane to a disaster location. And I thought, well, that would be great if you had an inflatable because part of the problem is getting it in the box. I don't think people realize how strong inflatables can be when they're under pressure. So my partner in the UK, he makes wave energy converters. It's not creating electricity at all. What it does is it takes the energy from the wave and pressurizes that energy. That pressure is increased with the pressure intensifier and then it is turned into desalinated water with a reverse osmosis membrane. We're in the semifinals right now. So if we get chosen for the finals, we will be one of between four and seven finalists. In the last part of the competition, we'll be at Jeanette's Pier at Nags Head, North Carolina. The final competition will be sometime in April of 2022. Jack's Plastic Welding offers a duffel style dry bag that uses the traditional roll top closure, keeping the access fast and easy. It comes in several sizes, and the shape of the main body allows it to swallow a lot of whatever you want to put in it. The layout of the D-rings on the bag allow it to be securely strapped to your deck and still be accessible. You can find Jack's Plastic online at www.jpwinc.com. That is www.jpwinc.com. So right now, you said that the, the treated sewage from the majority of the plants in the MET system is just going, it's, it's not being reused, it's not recaptured. It might be going to the ocean, but it's, most of it's leaving the system. Some of it is recycled. A lot of the, the water that Metropolitan imports and, and provides to our region, some of it is already being reused and recycled but there is an opportunity to do more and this project just demonstrates that opportunity and then again for clarity some of the water that's being recycled is being used for like park irrigation municipal industrial cleaning not for human consumption yeah so the water that is being reused you're right some of it's used for irrigation of schools golf courses parks street medians it's used for industrial use and then some of it right now is also used to help refill groundwater basins that we do rely on for drinking so the groundwater basin there's a, that's a fairly interesting part to me because 
these are existing aquifers that are being refilled. How do you know you're not losing the water when you put it into the aquifer? Like that there's not a, a fissure at the, at the bottom side of these aquifers that the water is just traveling deep into the, into the earth and you don't know that. Do you, have you used cameras to canvas the entire inside of an aquifer? How do you know this? Are you measuring the input, the out, outflow? Are you mixing your recycled water with very pure earth water? I'm using earth water as just like, as the term I, I get, kind of give to the water that's gone through the earth's process of cleaning it. Are, is that also getting mixed? So several questions there. These groundwater basins that we're refilling, they are managed groundwater basins. So that means that any water that is pumped out is measured. Water that is used to refill those basins is also accounted for. They are constantly monitored. So there's monitoring wells that monitor the level in the groundwater basins too. And so that's how we keep track of those basins. Currently, those basins are refilled with a combination of imported water and storm water and also some recycled water. Because it's highly purified water that meets such high water quality standards, water from this project, it could replace some of that imported water that's being used to refill those basins now. Spending almost a week in Los Angeles was it was really fun. It's a huge landscape filled with urban features endlessly. For a week, that was a blast. Fast highways, great music, amazing food trucks, the beach, the ocean, the museums, the people. And for the week, I was intentionally drinking the tap water. Which means, at some point during the week, I drank from the Sacramento River, from the Colorado River, from aquifers, and from other natural resources. And I knew it. Each time I was filling my bottles at a faucet, I was picturing the Colorado or the Sacramento River and the crew from the SAC source to sea trips in the previous episodes and how they floated source to sea on that river on this water. We're talking, you know, we're wearing hard hats. We are talking about very specific science pieces going on in here. I'm curious what you, you know, this is a, maybe this is a little bit more of a, a subjective question for you and maybe what your peers at the Met know about the places the water comes from. Are you, uh, are you aware that the Colorado River doesn't flow to the ocean anymore? I am aware of that, yeah. I'm curious what you're, like, how familiar you are with the Colorado River, with the Sacramento River, because that water is what's here in this building. It kind of amazes me to think of it, that, th that that water is here in these various facilities that we're looking at, that that's exactly what's going on. This is water that I might have boated on literally three weeks ago. It might have moved down the system that fast, probably didn't because of these big dams and the, and the holding out in the reservoirs. But this is water that was in these rivers. What, what, what's the view from you, from the people here of those rivers? We just did a road trip through. So we followed a lot, the Colorado River along quite a ways, you know, as much as we could during our road trip to its starting point. Um, and it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable to see that river just to see how far it flows. I always feel like there's a little bit of, we love to, we take our water infrastructure for granted. We open up that tap, water is flowing out 24 seven. We're happily using it. But my job is community relations. So I talk to people a lot and many times people don't know where their water supply comes from. And so I love telling people about 
their water supply, all the work that goes into bringing that water here. Um, it's remarkable. It's remarkable that there's rivers out there that can that are hundreds of miles away and that help sustain our region as well as the regions that are nearby those rivers as well too. It's, it's really cool. But I think that we have great water infrastructure. Um, and so for many people, it's just making sure that they have that water all the time and they're not necessarily thinking about where it comes from. And so we have projects like this where we're introducing a new supply. And so we're out there saying, Here's a new supply that's coming your way. And by the way, there's also water that's coming in from Northern California and from the Colorado River. And all together, all these supplies are ensuring that we have this high quality of life, this great region, this great area to live in that gives us homes and jobs and schools where we can raise our families. And we want to continue that for generations. I've heard you say drought. I hear lots of people say drought. I recently read in the LA Times, actually just this week an article came out, Eric Kuhn was quoted saying that drought is uh, considered to be temporary and that his thoughts and that a lot of other people's thoughts is that this is not drought, but that this is the, the real pattern of this area of the southwestern United States and is, is the growing more intense pattern of the southwestern United States. Is there a conversation in MET and with other water districts that that language of suggesting it's drought, that this will peel back and that we'll come back to a more moist condition across the Southwest? Is that is there conversations around the language of drought versus true big changes? I think that the conversations are, it's it's drought and it's the new normal. So I think we all understand we're in a period of transition right now, trying to figure out where we're heading. But I think we all understand that we need to be planning for dry conditions in the future and more and more drought as we're, we've been experiencing. I was trying to stay away from using the word drought, but it just came out anyway. <laughs> I can't help it, I guess. Yeah, and that when there are wet conditions, when we do have a year with a lot of rain or snow, that we need to, to maximize those opportunities and keep that water in storage that we get from those years so it's available for us in the future when we have other periods of dryness again. Is there anything else you would like to tell me that you feel like I'm not asking that you want to be included? For people that aren't seeing this every day, you know, how do you, how do you think about this? How do you think about water? I guess for me, like, I also feel like in Southern California, I feel very hopeful about things. Like, you know, you you you, you read these articles, you see these things, but I feel like we're all understand that things are changing, but that we can work together to make a difference. We've seen that already with our conservation programs. Um, I, I see it with this project. I see, you know, when we started working on this project, again, it started in a little shed with these little pilot studies of oh, what technology can we use to purify the water? And now here we are with agreements in place with Southern Nevada Water Authority and looking at how this project could impact and make a positive difference on the Colorado River. It's huge to see how 
working on something bit by bit, those baby steps lead to something that could become a, a project that could make a monumental difference in water in the region. And so it's just really exciting to be a part of that. Again, I just want to express that word hopeful to be a, a part of that too. When I think about how much water is used by cities and how the people using that water might not be familiar with the rivers and riparian zones that bring them their drinking water, shower water, cooking water, any of their water, I easily want to dismiss the value of their use of that water. I easily find fault and frustration with these folks and these systems. And really, it's not appropriate. What I found in L.A. last week was a constant set of surprises. So many of the people I talked with love the natural world that is trying to stand tall in L.A. The L.A. River, the bird sanctuaries, the ocean, the beaches, the greenways. And yes, these are different than the more wild places you and I might know. But it's still what these folks have and what they appreciate. I found humans in L.A. I found humans who also need water. And I found people who work with water that are working to find water where most of us would not see water. Progress comes in the shade of bigger problems. The southwest United States is full, full of wide open spaces and landscapes, mountains with snow and rain, deserts with sweet water, and it's full enough with people, and that fullness and ways people want to use water is maxing out the ability of the rivers and natural systems of the southwest to maintain the wild places and the wildlife on the continent, to maintain the Colorado River Delta at the Gulf of California, and to simultaneously deal with the plethoric water extractions committed by humans, myself included. So, cheers to the efforts to reuse water in Southern California. Cheers to the ingenuity. Cheers to being brave. And cheers because it's about time. My experience in L.A. was powerful. La gente is muy amable. All of the people were incredibly friendly and helpful. The smells of great food filled the streets. Highways aren't straight. They swing with the music, the beaches are lined with cities and people, and the ocean is still powerful enough to drown out the noise. The street-side interviews were my favorite part of L.A. and were so revealing. We will close out here today with a few more folks talking about water in Southern California. All right, would you tell me your first name? John. And would you tell me where we are? Downtown L.A. Do you know where, do you know where your water comes from? For the rivers? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know at all? No. Do you ever wonder where your water comes from? Yes, but I think it's for the rain and everywhere. I mean, the the planet Earth, they keep the water, you know, everywhere. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know. Okay. I don't know. How do you, how do you use water? I try to use very be careful because a lot of places, they don't have water, they don't have rain. So we need to be, be careful on that stuff. So as you see, I mean, if I take a shower, I take like, like, 20 minutes, the longer for the shower, whatever, what I need for my dishes, I need to use it, you know? Yeah, for me, it is scary because there's a lot of that in different countries. There's no water for the animals. There's no water for even poor people, you know? And poor people cry for water. We have the water and we waste it. Very bad. And that's crazy and that's sick for me, you know? Yeah. We don't care about the, the planet. We only think is having fun party drinking enjoy life and we don't care for different people what they need that's my point of view and you're in a party store yes that's the worst <laughs> <laughs> but always i trying to be my best you know i'm trying to help people and tell them what's good and what's bad you know but it depends on people you know it's not me 
Yeah. If I wanted to want to do something, what they do. If not, it's not. You know, it's different things. I yeah. mean, it depends on the person. Yeah, awesome. Okay, that's it. Okay. Would you tell me your first name and what town we're in? Joe, and you're in Palos Verdes Estates. Can you tell me what you know about where your water comes from? Uh, I believe most of the water that we get from comes from the Colorado River, and it's the what the heck do we call All American Canal brings it into the eastern part of uh, California. The other place is uh, from uh, Mono Lake and the, uh, what's it called, up to Owens Valley. Okay, that was built first. So that water comes down and I'm not sure that actually makes it to here or not. Very little of our water is local. And what what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on water use of it, having it, conserving it? Uh, we got to do it. There's just there's too many people and too much uh, other uses for water. Your thirty seconds is up. Hey, thank you, sir. Can you tell me your first name? My name is Leon. And Leon, can you tell me where we are? We are in Los Angeles, California. And um, do you know do you know where your water comes from? There's like a reservoir up a mountain. They put black balls in it to keep it from evaporating. But if you ask me the name of the place or its location, I couldn't tell you. To be straight to the point, water comes from the faucet after I turn the knob. Do you think about water much? Like maybe you think about it like I want to get a drink or I want to take a shower. But do you otherwise think about like water? where it does come from, how much you're using, or where it'll come from next year? There's a lot of things, uh, especially in this day and age, that are uh, uh, tick-tocking down to like a, a global doom. And it's like water is one of the main ones. And so many people industrialize it and put a price on it. You know, it's just becoming another thing that they can charge for instead of being something that is free. When it comes to water being scarce and stuff, it's like everything is scarce. Housing is scarce, food is scarce, water is scarce. You know, it's just another thing. All right, man. All right, man. Leon, right? Yes. What's your name again? Sam. Nice to meet you. All right, now. A California-sized thank you goes out to Rupam Sony in the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. That thank you extends to all of the streetside interviews at the toy shop, at the vintage furniture shop, on the cliffs, at the restaurant by the beach, in the park, and on the stoop. The second episode about water in Southern California will publish in August. If you want to learn more about these topics, there are books, articles, and websites all hyperlinked in the show notes. Reach out to us here anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. Downtown LA. Well, what struck you as, like, damn, water is like some real shit here? It's like one of the friendliest cities I've been to, I think. Oh, like uh, around Chinatown? Are you on Instagram? No, no, that's for rich people. Other places seem to not like LA, but LA's cool with everyone. <laughs>